Today on the show, there's a priest on my Google. What's with the Catholic calisthenics? Buen Camino, our picks of the week, and so much more. The Catholic Underground starts right now. Oh, yes, it is time for the CU Weekly, where the podcast that tries to cut through the noise of the digital continent and bring you the topics that matter. It's episode number 376. For real, I'm Father Chris Decker. Joining me this week, we've got Kathleen Lee. She's the religion teacher. Actually, she's our own personal religion teacher. I am. And you're mm-hmm. fresh from the Catholic Leadership Institute yes. in Homo Thibodeau, Homo Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. And you're also our locally sourced faith ninja. Hey, Kathleen. Yes, I am. Hello, all. Also joining us um, in, a, in a two shot, uh, if you're watching us on the video feed, uh, <laughs> we have Olivia Galino, who's the Associate Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry for the Diocese of Baton Rouge. Hey, Olivia. Hello. And also, you know him. He's the pastor of St. Edward the Confessor Parish in beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, blustery Tallulah, Louisiana. Father Ryan Humphreys. <laughs> Hello, world. Hello there, Father Ryan. It's good to be That's with you again. That's a computer reference, by the way, programming reference. Yeah, Hello PHP. World. That's right. Oh. Uh, we do use computers to go up on the Jeff Star One near Earth orbit satellite, and it is there that we find Jeff Blackwell. He's the technical director of the Catholic Underground. He's the commandant on that satellite. Hey, Jeff. Pleasure to be here, Father. Also in the ball pit, uh, I'm told that we have uh, on audio Ed Ball, our video director. He's probably not wearing his headset, though. Oh, he's picking it up now. I just got pick it up. <laughs> there it is. Hi, Ed. Those are dulcet tones. Hello, Father. Hello, crew. That's right. And, of course, you probably haven't ever heard Ed before yeah. because uh, we've added technology to his uh, to his hamster bubble there. This was I forced, like it. by That's the cool. way. What's that? What's this that was it? forced, by the it way. It was forced. There you go. We like it. <laughs> That's perfect. All righty. So, so now you know who we all are, and, uh, and we're certainly here. And uh, I think it might be time for us to begin this little thing that we call the Catholic Underground, because this is, uh, I suppose we should just go without saying, this is this is uh, my last show for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me very sad. Ooh. That's all right. It's okay. Um, because uh, as you'll be uh, seeing in a future block of our show, um, Father Ryan and I will be going on the Camino, and there's going to be more on that, uh, so stick around for that. Did you like mm. the tease there? Yeah. That was nice. Good. Well, you know, I was uh, I was Google searching the other day um, because, well, I mean, let's let's face it or not, if, whether you like Google or not, it's there. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. and so uh, and so usually whenever I do a search, it's whatever is native in my browser. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, on July seventeenth, uh, I looked at the Google Doodle, and there was a priest mm-hmm. staring back at me. Mm-hmm. I was really rather surprised, and uh, and that Google Doodle is uh, is a scientist actually who happens to be a priest as well. Uh, I would say he is a priest who happens to be a scientist, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, that's Father Georges Lemaitre, who is the physicist who was the first to propose what we call the Big Bang theory. And uh, yeah, and, and and did you know that Jeff that it was a priest? I did. I certainly did. Yeah, he um, not he, until I was in my fifties, but I did. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. He was born in in 1894. He studied civil engineering at the Catholic University of Leuven, and he went on to serve in the artillery uh, artillery division of the Belgian military during World War One. And after the war, he entered the seminary. He was ordained a priest in 1923. And then, uh, I guess as a civil engineer, you, you really do begin to, to have a, a love for physics. You have to because, well, gravity is important mm-hmm. in civil engineering. And uh, he continued his study uh, in physics at the University of Cambridge, Cambridge and he studied at, the, uh, at MIT, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And um, one of the things that he did was he built upon uh, Edwin Hubble, who was an astronomer, his observations about the expansion of the universe and Einstein's theory of general relativity. Um, and he hypothesized that the universe had begun from a dense starting point, dubbed the primeval atom or the cosmic egg. 
That's a really, in, I've never heard those phrases before. Father, you probably have, because Father is uh, a nerd. Yeah, well, <laughs> to I wasn't going to say it. But, no. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's, that's just one. So, so uh, Father LeMaitre died in 1966, and um, his, his Big Bang Theory uh, remains the basic model that cosmologists use to describe the universe today. Um, he, he said, uh, a famous scientist told LeMaitre that uh, your math is correct, but your physics is abominable. However, his theory was later confirmed by observation, and Einstein, who was the one who may, may have said it, recanted his view and reportedly declared that Father Lemaitre's theory was the most beautiful and satisfactory explanation of creation to which I have ever listened. That's precious. And, and what, well, what's happening there, too, is, is whenever we talk about those things which are true, even those things certainly that are observable by science, um, whenever they point to the author of the universe, you can't help but see the beauty. And, and Einstein, actually, in, in many different ways, and uh, some of the things that he said, uh, was one of those that appreciated beauty when he observed it, even if it was an equation. Mm. You know, it was beautiful. Um, there's also another person who's been getting some recognition as well, and uh, and that is uh, the computer science pioneer Mary Kenneth Keller. But you might know her as Sister Mary Kenneth Keller uh, mm-hmm. of the Sisters of Charity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and um, and so. Um, Sister Mary Kenneth was the second person in the United States to earn a Ph.D. in computer science. Wow. Uh, yeah, and she, oh. was, he, she was the first woman to earn a Ph.D. in computer science as well. And she was the pro- one of the primary writers, if you can imagine this, of the basic programming language. Did oh. any of you ever program in basic as a kid? No. Father Ryan? Well, there are a couple of different versions of basic. Yeah. So, yes, and yes. But, and, and the, <laughs> not, but the one she developed is different than the one that Waz developed. So mm. I developed in the one that Waz did, not the one she did. So I'm okay. sorry, sister. Oh. I, had, I had a little pre-computer 2000. That's what it was called. It was this giant, giant plastic thing that was larger than a speak and spell, Kathleen. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it had, uh, you could write uh, things in basic on it. And I remember writing... Um, Okay, my nerdiness is coming mm-hmm. into a very niche Bring moment it. here, right? Bring it. So, I wrote uh, a, a basic, um, a basic database for checking people in and out of uh, of, of air aircraft flights because uh, I liked to play airport because my dad worked for Delta, Aww. so I would always play airport, and so I would have the computer and. And Delta's still using that software today to operate their entire global station. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. That explains they it. They it. call it Deltamatic. That's right. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it is called Deltamatic. Uh, and is. I think, oh, I want to say it's based on, I think it might be based on Fortran. It is. Um, but uh, oh. so, so, uh, so Sister, Sister Keller um, earned her Ph.D. from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 1965. Her dissertation, Inductive Inference on Computer-Generated Patterns, focused on constructing algorithms that performed analytic differentiation on algebraic expression, and it was written in CDC Fortran 63. Or, as we like to call it, Father Ryan's summer reading list. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Sister, Sister Mary Kenneth really had uh, quite a, a, a lot of stuff under her um, proverbial habit of belt, you know? Mm-hmm. She, um, she was one of the ones, as we said, who, who was uh, instrumental in the beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code, or we call it BASIC. And uh, at that time, um, all computers required writing custom software, and that was something that only a scientist or a mathematician can do. And, uh, in fact... I know even my parishioners that studied computers in school, they use cards to do things, right? Did you know, did you know that, that they have these little, little uh, punch cards? Punch cards. Yeah, I so heard you about would, that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So you're right. It's kind of like trying to explain uh, a dial-up internet to a young person these days, you know. So there were these punch cards, and then the mathematical equations would be put onto the punch cards, and those would be fed into a computer. Mm-hmm. Well, this was kind of taking that in a new direction, actually, mm-hmm. a way to to uh, to develop. Uh, programming without having to be uh, a scientist or a mathematician to be able to do it. Well, you know, some of the most important software at the beginning was written by women, mm-hmm. and, and they get almost zero credit. Ada Lovelace is one of the most yeah. important computer scientists that ever lived, mm-hmm. and she gets no credit at all. Babbage um, took all the credit. Yeah, I mean, it, well, I mean, and, and Turing and others take a lot mm-hmm. of the credit when when it was the women in their lives who were able to think in a way that was a little less mechanical and a little bit more creative. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so when it comes to computer science, women actually have consistently uh, been better on the software side, and men have been a little bit better on the hardware side. But um, but it's remarkable the contribution that women have made to developing in software. That's right. We talk very often about the feminine genius and the development of software to men's hardware. There's probably like a whole theology of of, uh, of computer design that could be written about about that. Hmm. The notion of, of of hardware and software uh, having to to have a unifying element in order to, yeah. to make something beautiful. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. Oh, somebody, you write your paper on that, yeah. Uh, Sister also founded the computer science department at Clark College in Iowa, and she remained its director for 20 years. Um, She dedicated herself to making sure computers were available to everyone and not just scientists, engineers, and technicians. So there you go. That's quite something. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so sister, actually, it's always, it's really interesting too. Whenever you you see somebody who kind of sees the bigger picture of how uh, we as Catholics are called to to um, to encounter the world around us, and rather we're not supposed to be. Not all of us are supposed to be hermits uh, that that retreat from the world, but so much of the work of the apostolate is going out into the world. And and sister saw that computers could offer access to information, promote education. And uh, so many of the religious orders, especially at that time, uh, were, were very uh, instrumental in, in uh, furthering education. And that's a good thing, uh, even in the, uh, in the scientists. So uh, this summer, Sister Mary Kenneth is recognized along with other Catholic scientists like uh, Francis Bacon, Copernicus, Blaise Pascal, Gregor Mendel, Father George Lemaitre. And, um, and uh, you can go to reasonfaithscience.com as uh, Bishop Robert Barron uh, talks about how there really is no contradiction between faith and science, or as we can also say, faith and reason, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, faith and good science. Yeah, faith and good science, because yeah. there is the other stuff, too, you know. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. Okay, so uh, so that's, um, that's a little bit about uh, that Google Doodle that you saw, but uh, there's a little doodle that we like to call the Catholic Underground. <laughs> Alrighty, you are listening to The Catholic Underground. We are online at catholicunderground.tv. I'm Father Chris Decker, joined by Jeff Blackwell in space, Olivia Galino, Father Ryan Humphreys, Kathleen Lee. Our picks of the week are coming up, uh, but first, now this is something that uh, that we do encounter all the time, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and admittedly so, sometimes we get made fun of for it. Right. Because if you have friends uh, who are, uh, you know, in different ecclesial communities, they, they come to, to Mass, and they notice that that we have uh, we have a very um, we, we move yeah <laughs> right you you sit you stand you kneel you do the hokey pokey well well no no not at mass no, no. You're, you're thinking of the sock hop oh oh yes yeah, okay yes right. yes yes yeah yeah I get this question all the time from young people and and you know young people at least are brave enough to ask it but I guarantee you 
there are many, many Catholics out there who ask the question, why do we sit? Why do we kneel? What does it mean? Is it just like, you know, so that they can get us, you know, I tell my students all the time, I say, look, we didn't, you know, a bunch of men didn't sit in the Vatican and go, how can we just get people to stand up and sit down and kneel and be uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Right. It all has a reason, right, behind it. So like you said, nine Catholics, a lot of Catholics alike, um, have these questions. Why all the up and down? Why are we kneeling? If I kneel and my tushy still is on the seat, <laughs> like, especially if I'm not sure why I'm kneeling, is that okay? Is it okay? Like, you know, all these questions about why we move and do what we do. And a wonderful feature of the Mass, right, um, is how each and every single thing has significance. Mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to some students uh, this past week. I was working at home with Thibodeau with some some young people, and you know, we were talking about the the smells and the bells and the whistles. They had asked about why women wear veils. Whistles? Mm -hmm. I've never heard. Yeah, of whistles. Mm -hmm. yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Liturgical whistles. But like okay. the the sounds and Penny the sights whistles? and the smells yeah. and I've why. I've heard of smells, bells, and yells. Oh, you never heard of smells, bells, and whistles? No. Well, now you have. <laughs> but, there you go. Well, thank you for that. You're That's welcome. Right. You're welcome, right? But everything that we do in the Mass is has significance, has meaning to it. And a lot of times we don't ask why. Uh -huh. You know, a lot of people who have been to Mass their whole life, you know, and, and are kind of still feeding off of the, you know, First Communion prep for what Mass is, yeah. you know, very watered down, um, are still asking, like, why do we say that? Why mm -hmm. do we do that? Mm -hmm. Right, but every single movement, posture, the words that we speak, everything that we do means something, right? And the more you understand about what is going on in the mass, yep. right, the more that you can dive in, that you can enter in mm -hmm. and know, okay, look, if you have a question, why do we kneel? Why do we stand? Why do we say that? Why do we, you know, on our face in the middle of mass, you know? Ask it, find out so that you can own it and then enter more deeply into mass. That's right. right? And it's, it's really interesting to note that uh, what we're talking about here uh, essentially are, are, are rubrics, right? The, sure. the sitting, the standing, and the kneeling. And uh, those, uh, those follow in, in many ways the rubrics of the priest, what, right. what the priest, the, the, the postures that the priest observes. And, uh, and so, you know, for the longest time, and Father, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for the longest time, there was no actual prescribed rubric for the people. And so a lot of the rubrics that we have today uh, that, that move over into the ordinary form um, are, are, in some ways, they're following the actions of the priest or the servers. And, uh, and so that's what we're kind of concentrating on here today are, are, the, are the movements of the people. Right. Oh. Mm -hmm. right, yeah. And so as we move into what do these movements mean, think about this next time you go to Mass. Right. What you say with your body is it means something, you know, and, and what are you doing as what's going on in the mass when this happens? So first, let's look at sitting. Right. Sitting is a posture of listening, of receptivity. Mm -hmm. Right. So when do we sit during mass? We sit for the first reading, which, you know, as we know, comes from the Old Testament. The psalm. Unless which, it's Easter, right? No. Right. No. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, keep going. Mm -hmm. The psalm, which is um, actually most of the time sung. Right. And the second reading, which is from the New Testament, but not the gospel. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we also sit for the offer, the offertory and the homily. Right. To listen, to receive what the priest is is talking about. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and which we may or may not include the reading of a bulletin. Yes. Mm -hmm. You run into mm -hmm. that every time. Yeah. I think we can't see, but we can see it. Yes. Yeah. So this idea that we sit to receive, to listen. I think a lot of times, you know, when I'm listening to the readings and I'm sitting and I'm thinking about the idea that I'm actually sitting, I think of the apostles who sat at the foot of Jesus mm -hmm. and received what he had to tell them, you know, um, so that they then could, could go out. Right. So that's sitting. 
Uh, the next thing we, the next movement that we do is standing, right? There are certain mm -hmm. parts of the mass that we stand, um, significantly for prayer, right? Standing has been a posture of prayer for Jewish people since before the time of Jesus. Right? Standing during prayer is also seen throughout different parts of the Bible. So as Catholics, we continue to utilize this posture for prayer today. I think about in the Old Testament, whenever, um, whenever the people would hear, whenever they would listen to the, the prophets being read, mm -hmm. they would stand. Uh, I think it's in Ezra, the book of Ezra, where Ezra, the, the priest, reads, and the people stand and they say, everything that God has said, we will, we, we will believe and do, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's this notion of kind of rising in the same way that... Uh, that a soldier would rise right. and say, "I am, I'm ready to be sent." Yeah, yeah, that's you know, that's what I was told as well. Like this idea of of mission, like okay, we're preparing for going out, right? So, mm -hmm. what are some of the times that we uh, that we stand during mass, right? When we pray the opening prayer, which is of course led by the priest, right? When we say the Lord's prayer as a congregation, uh, the prayers of the faithful, right? Mm -hmm. The prayer requests that we bring um, as a congregation for the creed, we stand as we say. Um, Altogether, what Christians have believed from the earliest times, right, in the form of either Nicene or the Apostles' Creed, what yeah. we believe as a community, we stand as you know as witness, mm -hmm. right, to this is what we believe. And I like the fact that it is it is an individual statement that is made mm -hmm. collectively, right. right? Yeah. So we stand to affirm that unity, right? Uh, of course, we stand for the gospel. Um, it's also a sign of respect, right? This is a, this is important. These are the words and teachings, the life of Christ, mm -hmm. right? Um, so we have many readings from the Bible during Mass, but we stand for the Gospel. Because Jesus is speaking to us. Mm -hmm. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. Right, for sure. Um, and then, of course, for the procession, right? We stand at the beginning and the end of Mass, also as a sign of respect as a, uh, for the celebrant, right? The priest, the bishop who is celebrating the Mass um, as a procession in to begin the mass and then as it process out i think sometimes we forget that these are processions mm -hmm. right um, you know i've been in, in assignments where, where where folks don't quite know what to call what's happening there and so sometimes they'll, they'll kind of defer to you know what we remember from high school are you marching father will you be marching in you know that sort of yeah. thing but mm -hmm. but coming in uh to to mass is very much uh, it, its own procession it is sure. a procession because it harkens to Psalm 100 of going up to the mm -hmm. temple of the Lord, going up to the mountain where the Lord will make himself known. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, yeah, we, we do stand uh, in uh, in our pew uh, as a kind of a way to join in that procession, right. even though we're remaining stationary. Well, and, and it's, it deserves to be remembered that that so much of these, these kind of things flow from the natural human things that we do in society, yes. what we might call manners or etiquette. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as we live in a society now that is basically free of manners and etiquette, uh, it becomes increasingly difficult for us to understand why would you stand? I mean, like the old notion of, you know, like you watch Downton Abbey, you know, yeah. and everybody, well, lady leaves the room, immediately everyone stands up. Mm -hmm. You know, that that function of etiquette has yeah. a lot to do with why we do with what we do at Mass, but nowadays we don't do that. You know, we don't, we don't think about standing as a sign of respect. We don't think about listening attentively. We don't think about the gestures that we do with our body having a meaningful effect, the way that, that we shake hands with one another, or the way that we, you know, kiss on the cheek or whatever the case might be. And so part of the reason it's so challenging for us to read 
Mm-hmm. The what's being said is that this is a language of the body, a body language right. that the church is giving us that flows from something that we've done in the West for 500 years. Yeah. And in our moment in history, we've kind of abandoned all that in the last 50 years. And so it's it feels awkward for us. I'm like, well, why would you do that? Why stand? Why kneel? Why sit? Mm-hmm. And it's largely because there's been a societal loss yeah. of that whole sense of etiquette. And so that's why we're kind of struggling to recover and having to say, well, what do these symbols mean? Because these are things that folks would have have understood kind of naturally even in our parents generation that's right yeah the the standing for the proclamation of the gospel where jesus speaks to us is the same thing where you would stand where where someone of a of a higher station right somebody of seniority would would be Mm -hmm. in your midst yeah i think as we've become more increasingly nominalist we've lost that sense of meaning the fact that my my actions not only my words but my actions have a bearing uh, a meaningful bearing something obtains in reality by what i'm doing with my body um and especially in the context of worship and so the the farther we get away from the fact that that those things mean something the the more irrelevant it's it can seem So yeah, so we were talking about processions uh, and certainly standing for those. Mm -hmm. And then we we continue through to kneeling. To kneeling, right, which is also with young people. I mean, I'm just with young people all the time. Like that's the the hardest part for them. Mm -hmm. You know, like like, within about five minutes of adoration, they start to get all because it's not particularly comfortable it's not comfortable right but it is a posture of respect and adoration right when we enter mass we genuflect right towards the tabernacle um Mm -hmm. where we bend and touch one of our knees to the floor yeah the right knee knee. yeah Mm -hmm. left knee for the pope by the way i believe right i had heard that yeah that's correct yeah Uh uh-huh yeah what what is the significance of that i'd heard that well well the 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 right knee uh kind of uh the, the the right hand right knee right side of the body uh, is the one that's directed towards God, and so anything else, uh, gotcha. we have we only have, only have one other side of our body, so you wouldn't offer a divine worship to a human being. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. Okay, very yeah. nice. You learned. I had heard that before, but I I didn't remember the significance. So, right. when we genuflect, right, we humbly acknowledge Jesus in the tabernacle, mm-hmm. right, in the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we know that Catholics believe, right, that Jesus is fully present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, which is Holy Communion, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, we believe when Jesus said, this is my body, that he meant it literally. Correct. And so Jesus is veiled behind the appearance of bread and wine, but his presence is fully and truly there, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not just that you, you know, you genuflect towards this gold thing that holds something, mm-hmm. but that you genuflect as a sign of respect towards... To the person of Jesus Christ. Right. Who is sacramentally present. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. And so... so can we take a moment to do that? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, there, and it's important to know that we, why we're doing this, otherwise you, you get any number of things that are not quite genuflections. Not that they're intentionally half-hearted, but as you say, Father, they're, they're not particularly understood. And so it's very easy to kind of, you know, kind of um, externalize what you're doing without placing the internal uh, intent towards what you're doing as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another time that we kneel um, is during the pre- uh, the preparation before and after the reception of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. right? An act of humility, community. essentially. Yes, right? right. We kneel again because we believe Jesus is fully and truly present, as we said. Right? If you believed you were literally in the presence of Christ Himself, falling to your knees right, would be a natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right. You might even fall flat on your face. Mm-hmm. Right. These people who have had, you know, these experiences of of um, these encounters with Christ, you know, it, it can knock you to your to your knees, mm-hmm. um, and you know, 
if if that's what we truly believe, yeah. then it wouldn't be you know it wouldn't be a, a point of contention, right? That's right. <laughs> and it would, and it, perhaps we would know what to do with the discomfort that we feel. You know, in fact, I was uh, where where was I, where I found myself kneeling in in uh, a standard issue uh, church pew. I was somewhere. I might have just been saying daytime prayer or something in, in mm-hmm. uh, one of my three churches. And I remember thinking, you know, if I had to kneel through the entire Eucharistic prayer, because I, I don't anymore, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm standing. Uh, I remember thinking, I, I can see where this would get uncomfortable, you know, and, and how it really is it really is a kind of movement to Calvary mm-hmm. <laughs> by kneeling through the entire Eucharistic prayer. Um, so I, just so you know, I, I, do, I do know something of what you're going through, you know. <laughs> Uh, and I don't intentionally elongate any of the words of the of the mass, you know, to keep it uncomfortable. Right. Well, and it's worth remembering too that that it's only been very recently that we've stood at all while the Eucharist is consecrated. Correct. That's right. The the, the uh, traditional posture is from the moment that that the Eucharistic prayer begins, what we call the canon, until you come forward to receive Holy Communion, you're kneeling. There is mm-hmm. no standing at any point whatsoever. And remember too, one of the things I find interesting, and I've reminded my congregation, when we sit after the priest has put the blessed sacrament back in the tabernacle and he goes to a seat most people think that we wait until the priest's butt hits cushion (laughs) until we get off our knees and sit down but it's actually our cue is the closing of the tabernacle Mm -hmm. when the tabernacle is closed and jesus is now reposed that's when you can you can safely uh (laughs) you know uh remove yourself from your knees and and place your butt on cushion or return to your full upright and locked that's right there you go yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, so these, this is just a very basic description of what we do with our bodies as a whole. Of course, there are a host of other movements, gestures, um, that we as a congregation do mm-hmm. um, that carry all kinds of meanings, right? But the important thing to, to remember is um, how we move our body affects and reflects the state of our mind, Yeah. right? So when we come in hurried and, you know, we kind of half kneel and kind of half do the sign of the cross, right, what, what respect does that show? Mm-hmm. Right, to this time that we are, are putting in to be with our Lord on Sunday to celebrate the Eucharist as a Catholic. Yeah. Right. When we, you know, I, I was watching, I saw something on Pinterest. Um, I was looking for some pictures. Um, <laughs> and I found this thing about um, uh, St. Pope John Paul II. Right. And it showed him, he's very old. And of course, he was, you know, suffering at the end of his life. And he was, he was kneeling. And if it looked like, with his with his papal cross like that he had put all of his body weight on that and he looked in pain mm-hmm. and it was like if this man can kneel mm-hmm. in adoration mm-hmm. then you can as well i have parishioners who uh, are, are in the ancient category that insist on kneeling because of that is if, if mm-hmm. the lord could go on the cross then i can attempt to kneel mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. And so the same thing with with you know how we dress how we prepare ourselves um, it shows how we enter into the mass, with right. what respect, with what intentionality, and so even in our in our movements and our gestures, right? This shows our state of mind. And so, as in all the structures within mass and within Catholicism as a whole, there's so many tools to help move your heart, mind, and soul closer in relationship with Jesus. And so, when we enter into those re- those postures, those gestures. Uh, remember what it is that you're doing when you sit, when you stand, when you kneel, and take note of what part of the Mass that you're in, and it'll help you enter in that much more deeply. That's right. And in fact, uh, Mike in the, uh, in the chat room says, how about during an adoration hour? I'd say that uh, sitting at a portion during your holy hour is okay. It mm-hmm. helps you to enter into prayer. Yeah. So uh, that's a, a good bit on posture, and there'll be plenty more on the other side of the break uh, where we're going to pray for vocations. Uh, you are watching and listening to the Catholic Underground. Stay right there.
A prayer for vocations. O oh God, who wills not the death of a sinner, but rather that he be converted and live, grant we beseech you through the intercession of the Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, Saint Joseph her spouse, and all the saints, an increase of laborers for your church, fellow laborers with Christ, to spend and consume themselves for souls. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Welcome back. You have found the Catholic Underground with me, Kathleen. That's right. It's me. Talking to your microphone. Joined by... There you go. Oh, this, well, we had some movement at the... <laughs> there you go. Did you turn yourself up? Okay. Well, anyway, it's me. Joined by Olivia Galino, Father Chris Decker, Father Ryan Humphreys, and Jeff Blackwell. Right? Our picks of the week are coming up, but first, next week, not next week, two weeks from now, right? Yes? Yes. Okay. Two weeks from now, until the end of November, Father Chris and Father Ryan will be gallivanting across gallivanting she says leaving i us. did mm-hmm. yeah it's a good word yeah leaving it is a us. good word two you, points and yeah. a cool card oh. punch that on my cool card um to to travel all across europe right and one of the things that you guys are going to be doing is going to be going on the camino that's right right and so um i know there are some other things that you'll be doing before that uh tell us a little bit about where you are going like what is the timeline of your four-month gallivanting the timeline is four months okay <laughs> excellent yeah. well for me anyway uh so so the the short story there is um around 2016 mm-hmm. um i began thinking about uh, taking a sabbatical because i was coming upon my decade of priesthood and in the diocese of baton rouge uh, after seven years a priest can request a sabbatical for either academic or spiritual purposes and uh, i i've been thinking about the camino a little bit uh the camino santiago mm-hmm. uh, de compostela yeah, you see, I got that right. Yeah, uh, and so uh, and so I was thinking, well, maybe this will happen, and um, and so about that time, Father Ryan was also considering uh, a sabbatical as well, and uh, and so it just so happened that we began to talk, and as many things happen over the course of our friendship and priesthood, we said, yeah, why not do it together? Did I get that right? Yeah, give or take. So, so um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. My story is, is a little less. I wasn't actually thinking about sabbatical. I just approached uh, the new bishop of my diocese and said, Bishop, I'd like to walk the Camino at some point in the future. It's a month-long trip, and it's something I would need to take some special permission and mm-hmm. have time off. And uh, and he said, well, when do you want to do it? And I said, oh, um, well, um, how about this time next year? And he went, fine, we'll, we'll write it up. <laughs> and then he said, well, let's not just do one month, though. Let's do a three-month sabbatical. And I went, okay, All sure. Right. Yeah. You know, and and uh, <laughs> Uh, and to write up, write a proposal and send it to me by email. And so, you know, 16 hours later, yeah, there it was. Uh, so, so it, mine was a lot less deliberate than Father Chris's, uh, and and mine kind of began with I just want to do the Camino, and the and the bishop said no, make it a real thing, and so it kind of became a real thing. Yeah. So why um, why do a priest take sabbaticals? Like, what's the difference between a vacation, mm-hmm. right, some time off, and a sabbatical, especially for you guys as as priests? Yeah, well, well, the notion of, of sabbatical, as Olivia would tell you, is is the Shabbat, mm. huh? uh, taking time to to come away and, and rest for a while. Even though rest means different things in the notion of a sabbatical, uh, and it really is, it's taking time out of your regularly scheduled ministry uh, sure. to allow the Lord to speak to you. Right? Uh, you know, we spend so much time as priests uh, speaking to people. We spend so much of our time in ministry that uh, there, there's an old phrase that one of our professors used to use, and uh, it's it's a little 
little cliche, but I like it. Huh? We can get so busy doing the work of the Lord that we forget the Lord of the work, the one who animates us. And so a sabbatical, kind of like a teacher or a doctor would do, is an opportunity to, to either further your education, in the case of an academic sabbatical, but also uh, the, the possibility of, of, of furthering um, your, your relationship with the Lord uh, in a spiritual sabbatical. And so for us, in this case, it's kind of like an extended retreat, if you will. Um, and so in addition to the Camino Santiago, um, we will also uh, take uh, some time out to visit other pilgrimage sites that are, that are near and dear to, to each of our hearts yeah so what and we'll get to the Camino in a minute because that that in itself is incredible what are some things that you'll be doing not you won't go directly to the Camino no okay so no. what are some things that you'll be doing before what are some th- things that you'll be visiting some sites that you'll, you'll visit yeah well uh father actually is the is the keeper of the sabbatical schedule Ooh. yeah he's a uh, on the travel yeah. nazi he is <laughs> yeah, basically as it, as yeah. it goes down to so uh basically we we wanted to to do a couple of things so so first of all uh, we wanted to save money on getting over there because this is going to be an expensive trip three months in europe it's a lot of money right so first things first we're going to fly to reykjavik iceland uh-huh. Yep. Why Iceland? Because it's cheap. That's, That's right. why. Yeah. Uh, it's, and very, it's, there. <laughs> it's very inexpensive. And frankly, we've flown over Iceland enough. And every time I've flown over Iceland, I looked on the little map at the, at the, uh, mm-hmm. on the airplane and went, I really want to go to Iceland someday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've said that to him a couple of times. And every time I think you've crossed over, you've said the same thing. Uh-huh. So we're going to go to Iceland. Yeah. Um, As it turns out, 300,000 people a year also have the same idea. I'm reading a book right now by a person who lives in Iceland saying that, that they had no idea whenever they started a, uh, a campaign that so many people would respond by doing exactly what we're doing, going, you know what? I'd like to see what's on that island yeah. down there. Huh. I mean, Iceland Air has a great deal. We were doing something like, what, $300, $200? Yeah. It's cheap, wow. cheap, it's very, cheap. very cheap to go there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, uh, so we're going to go to Iceland, and, um, and we will, we'll spend a couple days there, and then we'll go to Dublin. Dublin, and uh, and so we'll spend a bit of time in Dublin, and uh, and and that's one of those places that we we intended to make a retreat with some monks there, some Benedictine monks who it turns out are having so many novices and so much vocations that they can't accommodate us anymore. Wow, that's right. So they said with a thick Irish brogue, well, we're gonna have to redo it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they were very, very apologetic because uh, because we had planned this about a year out, and they they had uh, their their monk uh, their monk wing, the the novice wing, that was supposed to have been finished. And uh, you know how construction sure. overruns and that sort of thing goes. And they said, well, we've been putting them in the guest quarters, and so right now the guest house is not is not free. And so uh, so we're going to kind of um, you know bake our own uh, little yeah. little. Uh, Catholic retreat. Right. So, so we're going to shorten. Of well, I'm sorry, for that in, in Ireland. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and we'll have we'll have so much time uh, on the Camino and elsewhere to have you know really deeply spiritual moments. Right. Uh, so we'll spend a bit of time in Dublin, uh, not as much as we intended to. We changed that a little bit, and then we will go over to Barcelona, mm-hmm. uh, where See? we will spend uh, a couple of days lifting our way across uh, across the Catalonian part of Spain, yeah. España, eating the the the, the pinto. Tapas. Pintos. They call them pintos, which is really hard to say. Mm-hmm. It's pinchos with a list. Pintos. Yeah. yeah. Um, and isn't the uh, isn't the ch sound an X? Well, yeah, That's yeah. how you spell it. Well, yeah, it's good spell. Well, you had, uh, X in, in Catalan is a ch sound, but when you get over to Galicia, the X is actually a J sound. Yeah. So you spell John X U A N. It's yeah. so really? confusing. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll go to Barcelona and then we'll it's go. It's the from- only time my algebra actually kicks in. I'm trying to solve for the variable. I don't. Uh, and we'll make our way from Barcelona up to Pamplona, which is the heart of Basque country, not mm-hmm. Catalonia. And they'll tell you very quickly, that ain't mm-hmm. Catalonia. <laughs> that right. is Basque country. And then we will begin walking in Pamplona. We'll go to Santiago de Compostela. 
Yep. It'll be a 31 days of walking, 770 kilometers or about 500 of your earth miles. Wow. And you guys have been, I mean, like the Camino has been um, kind of up to its ante and and Mm -hmm. popularity. Um, And so I've seen a lot of people who have have gone on the Camino. It's not something that you just fly over to Iceland, going down to Ireland, and then you walk for 31 days hmm. um how have you guys been like preparing for this i know i, I saw yeah. um, a post the other day you were saying that you went up to vicksburg and and hiked how do you prepare for 31 days of walking in yeah. the mountains and, and, for those, in and for those who are listening to us uh there, there's a giant map that uh that's on the screen yeah. uh, uh for us right now and you can see how that almost 500 miles uh, looks and it goes from, uh, it starts traditionally, the, the, the French way starts traditionally just on the other side of the Pyrenees and then goes, uh, goes from, from west to east across northern Spain. And so you hit all these little bitty towns along the way. So it's about, what, 15 miles a day. Yeah, it'll be 12 on a short day and 20 on a long day. Yeah. Wow. So if you take the average, right? And and uh, and so to, to your question, how are you preparing? Well, I have to say I haven't really been walking um, 12 miles a day. I haven't. Uh, I've been averaging a little bit. Uh, uh, and then the other thing is, is of course, uh, the, the, the altitude. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's no real steep, steep, steep incline like your mountain climbing. But, uh, but, but there, is, there is a grade that changes from town to town. And so we get as high as what uh, all, uh, uh, above, almost 5,000 feet in elevation. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to be a bit of a challenge as well. So, uh, so Father Ryan's been doing infinitely more than I have. Uh, because you have you have a OCD. Well, there is that. That's right. So I'm just waiting for uh, I'm waiting for like tendonitis to strike me. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. But I think part of it is is that uh, just kind of being open to the Camino itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, all the different people have different profiles and programs of what's the best way to prepare. But at the end of the day, it boils down to: Am I uh, am I open to whatever comes my way? Am I generally physically fit? Yeah. Uh, have I packed my pack? With, with a sense of what I really need and not just what would seem to be good at every moment. Uh, and, and we have to realize too, I mean, every five to seven kilometers, which is about every three to five miles, there is another little village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, like the, the basic program of a day is we get up at the crack of dawn. I'm, I'm usually up at 5.30 anyway. You know, start get on the trail for 6 a.m. And then by seven, you're in another little village. Yeah. You're having coffee and, and, and milk in the little village. You walk another hour, you stop for breakfast. You walk another hour, you stop for another snack. It might be beer time it might not mm-hmm. you walk another hour and then you're at your you're at your destination yeah. you know so a long day is five hours of walking uh give or take at our pace because he actually walks a little faster than i do uh five hours of walking on a typical day maybe a little bit more a little bit less um and then you have the the afternoon and like father says blisters and tendonitis are the two things we're kind of nervous right. about yeah. yeah i'm reading uh in fact it was my pick of the week a couple of weeks ago uh father um father kevin cod's book he was a professor in um actually he was the rector of the college in Leuven, uh, mm-hmm. of the, the seminary there. And I'm at the point in the book where he uh, has experienced really unbidden tendonitis. Mm-hmm. And it just it knocked him down for a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, no. Uh, please, Lord, you know. But the beautiful thing about it is, uh, and, and of course this is a priest who's writing the account, is that those are the ways in which the Lord wishes to speak to you. Um, oftentimes we, we wonder what suffering is all about. And of course I'm saying this, you know, on this side of the Camino, but we wonder, we wonder what suffering is all about and we don't like it and that sort of thing. But the Lord speaks loudly 
through experiences of suffering, whether it's a blister, whether it's tendonitis, whether it's a, a downpour that comes out of nowhere. All those little inconveniences are the ways in which the Lord wishes to speak. And the Lord always speaks in humility. He always speaks in inviting humility. And that's, uh, that's something that, that I know I'm uh, opening myself up to more and more and more is, is um, as, as, uh, as in the beginning of the book, there's this, this old guy that's, that's just kind of sitting by the road as Father Cod's beginning his, uh, his Camino. And he's, you know, just kind of blundering along, you know, bah, 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 I'm going to do it. And uh, he says, no, 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 don't worry. The Camino will humble you, <laughs> you know. And, and so that's one of the things that I'm, I can't say I'm looking forward to because nobody really likes to be humbled. But I'm looking forward to encountering the Lord in some of those ways, yeah. you know. Now, I know we've spoken a, a few times about, you know, a little bit about the Camino. And so the Camino is not just something that a pack of Boy Scouts, you know, blazed a trail in the middle of Spain, um, all throughout Spain, <laughs> um, and then said, come on, y'all, this is a cool hike. Um, there's much more history to it, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's certainly a thousand year old, or maybe just a, a few more than a thousand years old. Um, the the notion that, uh, that St. James the Apostle himself uh, appeared uh, in Compostela in a field of stars and, uh, and, and essentially said, I am here. And it's what roused all of the people in northern Spain to push back those who were against, uh, against Christianity, to push back all of those who, uh, who, were, um, who were fighting against Christianity. And so uh, and so St. James the Apostle, uh, by his really rather miraculous appearance in this field of stars, uh, caused a, a great number of pilgrims to begin making their way towards Compostela. And, uh, and then, of course, the basilica was built on supposedly the site of that. And what they found were the, uh, the relics of St. James the Apostle right over where he appeared. And so now those relics are inside that church, um, inside a little crypt. And uh, of course, as you know, as you finish your, your Compostela, your, as you finish the Camino, uh, you're encouraged, of course, to go pray at the tomb of St. James, and then to embrace this statue uh, that's kind of like the, a bust of St. James the Apostle, mm-hmm. and you climb up there and you give him a big hug at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's worth saying that the Camino is, is, is not necessarily the trail so much as it is the network of yeah. the people, the hospitlers, uh, which is what we would just call the attendants, the albergues, which are the hostels and the kind of little inns, uh, the restaurants, etc. everybody who has the little stamps that are given to the pilgrims along the way, and the pilgrims themselves make up the Camino kind of in this kind of corporate sense. Yeah. Um, and, and while there are some marked trails, and while some parts of it were uh, paved over and made into highways across northern Spain. Thank you, uh, Franco. <laughs> uh, you know, while, while some parts of it have been that, it, it's it really is the the little towns and communities that make it up. And there's no such thing as an official way to do it because I mean, every one of these little towns has an albergue, and somebody is <laughs> staying in that. Even yeah. if the official place to stop is Los Arcos, somebody is going to go further along to the mm-hmm. next little place. Yeah. Um, and then of course there there are other caminos from Portugal. There are caminos along the the coast at the top of Spain, mm-hmm. the northern route. Some from Belgium, from yeah. Germany, yeah. even and, from Britain, actually, there's mm-hmm. a there's a Camino route. Yeah. 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 So I know you guys have been preparing. I, I love the last couple of weeks, Father Chris has been bringing in, you know, his, little things that he is, is preparing. This is my question for you. What is your most favorite thing that you have packed in your bag? Because you have to pack light, uh-huh. right? And so there have been things that have been cut out. Uh-huh. Many revisions, uh-huh. but what is your most favorite gadget mm. or thing that you're carrying? My with Kindle, you? without any question. <laughs> 
Okay. My Kindle. I have 25 pages of books on my Kindle, and I am wow. ready to go. Uh, I, I'm just going to, to leave out technology, okay. uh, you know, for, from this, because I, I am bringing it, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, well, I can't say that's one of my favorite things. But what I am bringing, of course, is, is, my, uh, is my fresh, unused artist's journal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because and of course I have I have a nice little art kit that I usually keep and uh, and that'll be going over with me as well. So uh, there's something uh, for an artist about a, a fresh new, uh, fresh new piece of paper in book form. Uh, I also you'll you'll have to offer a little ave for me because yes. um, as an artist I, I don't want to soil the book with bad art, and so I will actually the hardest part is drawing that first picture in it, yeah. and then keep going. Yeah, do it right that. now. Yeah, do it right now. Well, I mean, I could, but then I won't be on the Camino. So he'll have to do it in Dublin. Aye. Mm. Yeah, or maybe Iceland. Or do it in Iceland, or yeah. on the yeah. plane. Mm-hmm. Or Remember, the yeah. food that Iceland offers us is fermented shark. Yes, Ew. yes, and puffin. It's, it's yeah, puffin. Oh. But who would <laughs> ferment a puffin? Who? Uh, no, not no. fermented. You don't puffin. ferment the puffin. No. You just no. you just eat it like a chicken. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah. it's like a it's cold water chicken. All right, yeah. moving on. <laughs> That's horrendous. Yeah. I can't wait to see, but I can't wait to Never see. Again. Hopefully, you, you hear that, Jeff? Cold oh. water chicken. Yes. Hopefully, you want to share your your art with us, and maybe we'll have a oh, absolutely a result of the Camino. Well, that's true. Episode. In fact, uh, Camino in comic fact, book. You, well, well, you can see uh, on on my uh, blog, and of course, Father Ryan has a blog as well, and we'll be making sure that some of that uh, is available. Uh, certainly, as my art is available, I'll put that up on there. So, Father Chris Decker, all spelled out. dot com. Uh, and then Fr Humphreys, FatherHumphreys.com. And uh, Father uh, has, has been uh, kind of working on his blog posts uh, here and there to, to make sure that, well, he's OCD, as he said. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm working on that as well. So some of them, actually, my first blog post will, uh, will go live on Monday, July 23rd, which is tomorrow by all nice. estimations. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little rationale of, of why I'm going on sabbatical. And then uh, I certainly hope to, to offer updates as we're able. They're actually part of the Camino network is better Wi-Fi these days yeah. than there used to be. So, uh, so we'll have opportunities to offer updates. And then our plan, uh, hopefully it will work, is to, to be able to offer something to Catholic Underground uh, for you to play, whether it's audio or video. Uh, something that that you can kind of uh, offer to our listeners and our viewers along the way, since uh, we're not going to be regularly scheduled guests, yeah. but uh, but we're we're certainly hoping to. That's sweet. You know, yeah. isn't that nice? Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. Well, we won't forget you, Jeff. Okay, looking forward to it. That's I'd right. love to hear y'all's voices as you're gallivanting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that word. I love it. Okay, so in the same vein, uh-huh. what are? This is a two-sided question. Oh, what are you those. most anxious about, and what can we hear? back at the Catholic Underground, back here in the States, or wherever you may be listening, uh-huh. where, what can we pray for you guys for? Hmm. Well, Father and I were actually honest the other day. We're terrified. Yeah. <laughs> quite, quite. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Not every priest is like this, but a lot of priests uh, appreciate uh, being in control of their situation, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. A lot of humans do. Yeah, a lot of humans yeah. are that way as well. But uh, but you know, every everything in my sanctuary is in its proper place, you know, and everybody's moving with a rhythm and that sort of thing. Uh, whenever life can't be orchestrated in that way, I think I'm actually um, a, a little terrified of that. How how I will I can usually begin to go with the flow, but it's not an easy thing yeah. for me. Uh, you know, so so I think for me I'm. I'm uh, I'm actually anxious about uh, about not being in in a place of comfort 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm going to have to dig way back down into Boy Scout camp, mm-hmm. you know, to, to kind of activate all those. OK, well, um, that's a dirty shower room, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm going to shower anyway because you have to do it. Yeah. You know, this bed is very uncomfortable because, you know, over a thousand pilgrims a day <laughs> have tried it out. You yeah. know, uh, so so those sorts of things, just kind of not having the comforts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love European culture, so I, I think sure. that'll be less of a problem for me. Well, I can say my, my biggest specific anxiety is trying to figure out a place to offer mass daily. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's just a, one of those challenges that I don't know how to address because I'm not strong in language. Father Chris is really good in language and I'm not. Uh, you know, so so we're going to places that are meant to be uncomfortable, meant <laughs> places that are beautiful, but we don't speak Hungarian. We don't speak Czech. We yeah. don't speak Polish. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we're going places we don't know, mm-hmm. you know, how to communicate in. And it's going to be challenging to find a good, a good place to say mass that is not the foot of the bed. Which yeah. is a sub subpar place to offer the holy mass. Yeah, and of course uh, that that's where it, being asked in the chat room, uh, will you be able to say mass daily? That's certainly the plan because uh, this, as you said, Kathleen, this is not a vacation for us. Right. This is a sabbatical, and as such, it is it, it does have a, an important spiritual component. And the the central part of a priest's life is the offering of daily mass and the celebration of the office. And so we want to continue to do that. So the heaviest thing in our in our pack, uh, each of us, is the mass kit. Mm. You know. Um, even though we've pared it down as much as we can, it's still, you know, it's yeah. a couple pounds hefty. to it, you know, it's yeah. a little heft hefty. to it, but, uh, but that's okay. Our, our Lord carried the cross. It prefers to be called Husky. Uh, husky yeah. It's a, it's a plus size mask kit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, of course, here at the Catholic underground will be missing Father Chris and Father Ryan, but we are so excited for them. We'll be praying for them. We're praying for multiplied rest, mm-hmm. uh, healthy feet, mm-hmm. um, and great conversation for them to just to be witnesses. Um, That's right. That answers your last question. What can you do? That is exactly what you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of our Catholic undergrounders for the next four months, get ready. We're going to need some prayers for our good, dear fathers. And we are so excited to hear what all comes of it. Yes, indeed. But right now, Mr. Blackwell, tis time for that part of the show that we like to call... The CU Pick of the Week. Thanks for the warning. Hmm. You're very welcome. She does that so well. I'm yeah. telling you, I love it. I'll be, trying, of, I'll be trying out some some new ones this, in the next couple of months. Speaking of things you like to be in control of, you like that one, I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we got a couple to get through today, and so, uh-huh. firstly, we shall go to Olivia. Oh. Finally, under the reign of Kathleen, <laughs> I am first. Things are different now. <laughs> well, it, I can't follow her, so this is it's only up for me. Um no, okay, so my pick of the week is a book called Ratio. Ratio. <laughs> or Ratio. Um, the Simple Codes Behind the Craft of Everyday Cooking. Um, it's by Michael Ruhlman. Um, and basically, it just works with the idea that if you strip down every recipe, whether it's baking, whether it's cooking, you can strip it down to a simple ratio. So bread is, you know, five to three. Five parts flour, three parts water. Um, and that applies to basically anything. Um, and the premise just being that Um, If you kind of get back to the craft um, behind cooking and and especially baking, because that's my my love, um, what I really love to do, if you just get down to the craft of it, then you can and master that. Then after that, you can start adding in the art. You can add the creativity. You can add the things that that make something new and something fresh um, and and get to express your creativity while respecting what makes a thing what it is. Um, so I'm, I've just started it. Um, I got it in. This was one of my Amazon Prime Day dealios. Oh, but, um, nice. but I'm really excited because I feel like this will kind of 
free me up to be able to try new things if I just understand it a little better. Mm. Yeah, because so. baking really is a, a science it's with a an science. art form. Yeah. 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 yeah, so if you can master just those fundamental things, then you can start being creative without worrying like, well, this just might not work, mm-hmm. much less the flavors might not work. Right. Mm. So. Very nice. I like it. <laughs> Creative in his own way, we have Father Chris Decker. That's true. And uh, and this is something that you can begin to experience for free right now. So the Etherington brothers are uh, a, a British uh, brotherhood. They're two brothers. And uh, one is really good at writing and the other is really good at drawing. And the one who draws uh, ha- began to, uh, to offer uh, tips uh, that he calls how to think when you draw. And he put them up on his Blogspot page, and uh, there are over 150 of them there. And he began to kind of uh, put the feelers out there, who wants a book? And so uh, I kickstarted a book, How to Think When You Draw. Nice. And, um, and so it came in today, so I can't wait. Uh-huh. Really, really good stuff. If you want to see it, we'll put a link in the show notes, um, theetheringtingbrothers.blogspot.com. And uh, you can see more about the book, but better yet, you can actually see all those things. And also his brother has started doing How to Think When You Write. Which is really cool too. So interesting. My pick of the week. Yeah. Very good. All right. We, now we go to space for Jeff Blackwell. And the uh, pick of the week has to deal with space. It's the Project Apollo Archive at Flickr.com. It is phenomenal. Over fourteen thousand photographs from the Apollo missions seven through seventeen. So uh, we have a, a link in the show notes, but uh, that's basically my pick of the week. Some. Terrific, terrific uh, photographs, and it also tells me that uh, I can never be an astronaut because I have claustrophobia. Those guys, I can't. I, yeah. I, they're 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 heroes in my book. So uh, check it out, the Apollo Archive, our Project Apollo Archive. Well, these are nice. So like some of these are are from the. Those are the launch. photographs that were being taken. So I watched the uh, the live. Uh, well, it wasn't live, but it was. I watched the live TV broadcast of the Apollo Eleven landing, and you can see at certain points in the broadcast they're taking pictures of each other. Mm-hmm. Those are the photos. That's really cool. So the astronauts took photos of each other. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. They That's had a really camera neat. out yeah. there, yeah. And so they also have the other Apollo missions, too, but sure. but uh, Apollo 11 is certainly cool While on the moon, you know, shooting through the, yeah, the, the, the window of the spacecraft, there's some, there's some great photographs. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. I wonder what, what it would look like if they would have had, like, Instagram. <laughs> well, this oh. was proto-Instagram. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Wow. Very and then nice. I read somewhere the other day that uh, that they actually, for defense purposes, what we saw on television uh, on, in 1969 was a uh, a much lower resolution than they were actually capable of sending because they didn't want the Russians to know that we had advanced television transmission wow. technology from the moon. Oh, that's cool. Isn't that Remarkable. something? I appreciate that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my um, I my hope that's pic- declassified. Sorry, keep going. Oopsies. We'll know when the FBI shows up. That's right. <laughs> um, well, my um, pick of the week is not from space. It is from here on the ground, and it comes from the Earth, and it is fantastic. It looks space age. This weekend, I discovered hot fries, corn and potato snacks. Get Andy ready. Caps, hot Andy fries. Caps, for those of you who fries. read the funnies on Sunday. Yes, taste the oven baked crunch. Now, this is one of those things that's got a little kick to it. Right. And so you're eating it and the, it just burns real nice, you know. And so um, you you want to eat more. And the more you eat, like you get to the bottom of the bag, and you think this is going to be real bad. But it's so good. So good. Hot fries. And like this week, you know, this past week, I was spending it with some um, some Utes and uh, out in Homa, like we said. And they encouraged me, like, take a risk. Take a risk, Kathleen. And I did. Flo's going to be mad. I've eaten all of her fries again. 
Flo is Andy Cap's wife. Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes, can, indeed. Can I offer you a risk if you get a chance to go to Florence? I'm scared. When okay. I was there on my trip just a few weeks ago, I was I was invited by a local who spoke Florentine to mm-hmm. go. Let's go to this little booth of it, and we'll take you some genuine Florentine street food. And I said, awesome. Wow. So he offers me lampradotto. Any idea what lambrodotto is? No. He says you can have lambrodotto with the green sauce or the red sauce. And I said, I'll take the green sauce. (laughs) And so he has lambrodotto con salsa verde. And so I had what is is actually tripe, that is steamed Mm. beef stomach Mm -hmm. with some kind of green sauce and a beer, which was delicious. Then he goes, Mm. and it was very good. And he says, you want to try the red sauce? And I said, (laughs) how can I A little bit, a little bit. And so he goes... And I said, oh, good Lord. And he ordered something totally different. And he goes, eat it first, and I'll tell you what it is later. And so I ate it. And it turned out I was enjoying calf uterus. That's the first time on Catholic Radio you've ever heard that, and hopefully the last. So, Lampradotto, if you're in the mood uh, for something that's saying yes in a radical way, there okay. You go. All right. Well, Kathleen, you better rest control of this I show. I know. I am very grateful that I do not have to eat lampradotto. Uh, but you know, Jeff, something else that we're always grateful for is our viewers, listeners, and benefactors, right? Absolutely. Does it taste like chicken, though, uh, Father Ryan? It's delicious. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> this week, Catholic Underground is possible because of people like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at Catholic Underground. Com. That is catholicunderground.com slash donate. And portions of the Catholic Underground are brought to you by audibletrial.com slash catholicunderground. There's more information at catholicunderground.tv. Yes, indeed. If you like the show notes for this episode or to, scri- to subscribe to podcast audio, go to catholicunderground.com. Our panelists have been Olivia Galino at OM Galino. On all the socials. On all of them. Uh, Father Chris Decker at Digital Catholic. Father Ryan Humphreys at FR Humphreys. Our technical director is Jeff Blackwell. Jeff Blackwellis at Jeff Blackwellis. Mm -hmm. Our research assistant and leader of the crew in the lab is Jim Hayes. Our video director is Ed Ball in the ball pit. Mm -hmm. And you know me, and you're going to get to know me a little bit better in the next four months. I'm Kathleen Lee. You can find me at Kaylee626 on the Instagrams. We hope we've helped you cut through the noise and find that still small voice. We are the Catholic Underground and we are Faith Gun Digital and we will see you next time.